You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. I said to you one day, young man, you've risen very fast in this company. Two years ago, you began as an office boy. In a couple of months, you were a clerk. He said, then you became a salesman, and after that, a sister manager, then manager. Now you are the vice president of the company. What have you got to say about all this? And the employee said, thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> that's an example of someone who grows up radically, but maybe not always the way that you, you, you think of it. Okay? So in, in, in the dictionary, a radical described as believing or expressing the belief that there should be great or extreme social or political or religious change, characterized by our departure from tradition. It's also... Um, <clears throat> It's also spoken about as innovative or progressive, drastic, severe, having a profound or far-reaching effect. Now, if someone is radical, they're going to stick out. They're going to stick out very much. And our word radical is actually formed from the Latin adjective radicalist, which simply means or of relating to a root. A root. So more everyday language, a radical is someone who has very extreme views. So you can say their views are different from the root up. So in Christianity, what we're trying to do as a church is going back to the, to the roots of Christianity. Right. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. You know that word radicalized? I, I went to training at my work recently. It's called Prevent. Yeah. It's really <coughs> preventing um, you know, vulnerable people from being radicalized. Because you know, radicalized is a scary word out there. Yeah. It's a scary word. People don't want to know about it. People are scared of radical. But a lot of radical people in history. Yes. Just show you about a few of them. Martin Luther King was radical. Mm. Yeah. Malcolm X was radical. Yeah. Thomas A. Beckett, Thomas Moore, Joan of Arc was radical. Yeah. Get the woman in there, you know, for the women here today. Yeah. <laughs> William T- Tyndale, who was an Englishman who wrote the, got the Bible written in English, he was killed for that. Um, Maximilian Colby, you know, he was um, he was killed by the Nazis for his belief. Yeah. Um, then we have some people in the Bible. Stephen was the first martyr. Antipas was killed as, as a revelation. Most of the apostles, Jesus Christ was killed. They all died for their radical, outspoken beliefs. Right, right. So radical is something that's going to really set us apart, I believe, as a church. Yes. We have to be radical. You know, we're studying the book of Acts at the moment. I love the book of Acts. You know, Sean gave me a, a end of a book. It's called Revolution. Oh, yeah. and it's all about the book of Acts. And the book of Acts really can revolutionize our, our faith, we believe. The book of Acts is, is radical from beginning to end. You know, the leaders in the book of Acts were radical. The, the regular disciples were radical. Their opponents were radical. Everybody was radical in the book of Acts. And it also, um, in the New King James Version, it kind of highlights this at, uh, towards the end of Acts. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. We're going to look at three areas of our lives today which God has called us to be radical. Three areas of our lives. Um, so the first one is going to be radical love for God. If you can turn our Bibles, please, to Matthew 5. We're going to be going to verse 20, uh, 27 to 30. Matthew 5, yeah. Um, the Bible says here, Jesus speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount, You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, her, in, her, in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Better for you to lose one part of your body from your whole body to be thrown into, your, in, into hell. And if your right hand calls you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
You know, I don't know if you've visited today if you ever heard this scripture before. This is a very radical scripture. Yeah. This is what it talks about, one of the main areas we can love, love God. We can have a radical hatred towards sin. That's one of the first characteristics of a love, a radical love for God. A radical hatred towards sin. And what does Jesus do here? He deals with the root cause of sin. What is the root cause of sin? It's obviously lust. It begins in our hearts, then it ends up into something much more extreme and radical. But look at what's happening in this world of ours today. We live in a very dark world. When we talk about sexual sin, when we talk about things like pornography, it's absolutely everywhere. Now, hardcore pornography is only a click away. You know, for adults, but also for children, which is a really dangerous thing, which, you know, concerns me. It's everywhere. Most adults, yeah, the, the parents of these children, they don't know how to, they don't know what their children are looking at. And this is what kids are growing up with today. You know, I saw recently there was, um, there's an app called Periscope. Basically, you can broadcast yourself live, no matter what you're doing, if you're doing, for religious reasons or whatever you're doing. But it's so easy to sign up on Periscope. It was in the news a few weeks ago that these young, young kids, young girls, 11, maybe 10, 11, 12, they were signing themselves up. It's so easy to do, all you need is an email address. So they're signing themselves up and they're projecting themselves out into cyberspace. So anybody can see them. They don't realize this, obviously. Anybody can see them. And what happens is that people put comments to you. And you respond to the comments. So these people, obviously, you know, people that don't have um, children's best interests at heart, were talking about all these things to the girls, like, you know, take off your top. Do this kind of stuff. And these girls, their, their parents didn't even know that this was happening. Didn't even know they were doing it. They were in their bedroom, they were at home, even in school this was happening. Yeah. This is what's happening in the world today. Yeah. It's, it's a wicked world we have out there. That's right. You know, in the, um, in, in the website, the Rape Crisis Centre, it says that 1 in 20 children in the UK have been sexually abused. In, in 2015-16, over 54,000 sexual offences against children. In, in actual reality, only a tiny proportion of um, child sexual abuse is, is actually reported. Because children won't do it. Children, children are, are, are silenced by threats. So the only way they can decide what the proportion is, is by talking to adults who have been abused with children. Because children don't open up. They can only talk to the adults and how many adults are prepared to say how they're abused. That's how they're able to get the official figures. It's such a, a tiny proportion of children that do it, they can't actually look at um, I was reading a report of the Chief Superintendent, Chief Superintendent in Britain, Gavin Thomas. He said this last year. He said there's not enough room in prison to house the rising number of paedophiles in the UK. Wow. There's not enough room in prison. They can't even build a, a, a more prisons. What they're trying to do is trying to integrate these people back into society as best they can. How to deal with these people. And then how, why is this happening? Because of what Jesus said here. We're not dealing with the root, which is lost. Mm. That's why it's happening. Since the Jimmy Savile case come up, um, you know, there's about 45,000 people on the, on the register, the sexual offender register. Loads of people are opening up all of a sudden about what's happened then with Jimmy Savile and others. This has been happening for years, but it's only coming out now. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the wickedness in this world, we, we can't dis discount it. Mm -hmm. I got some more, um, some more stats on sexual violence. 2015 to 2016, approximately 85,000 women and 12,000 men are raped in England and Wales alone every year. That's roughly 11 rapes of adults every hour. Nearly half a million adults are sexually assaulted in England and Wales every year. One in five women aged 16 to 59 have experienced some form of sexual violence. Only around 15% of those who experience sexually violence, violence choose to report it to, to police. So this is only the tip of the iceberg. It's a tip of the iceberg. And it all goes back to the root of the sin here, which is lust. 
Jesus says, don't lust in the first place. But the world laughs at this today. The world laughs at lust everywhere. But true Christianity deals with the root of sin. Deals with the root of sin. This is one of the roots of sin. And this is only one sin. You know, for myself, I know it's so easy as um, before I was a Christian to fall into um, internet porn. I used to watch internet porn regularly. I used to masturbate regularly. I used to lust regularly. Yeah. Sexual sin is everywhere oh, today. Lord. How do we deal with it? We deal with it by going after the root, which is lust. Yeah. And that's the only one sin. Let's go to another list of sins in Galatians 5.19. Well, you know what? If, if you're visiting today, are these sins in your life? Because I know with most people, they're in their life, men and women. Men and women are alive, but are you talking about it? Have you ever spoken about it in your life? The Bible says in Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Anyone can see it. Yeah. Even young children know what, what sin really is. Mm. Bible says sexual immorality, which is normally the first one again. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, <laughs> discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. You know, a lot of these sins are in my life. A lot of hatred. And you can talk about, people might laugh at adultery and witchcraft, but adultery is anything you put up there ahead of God. It could be a relationship, it could be a job, it could be your money, it could be going on holiday every year. That's, all, that's why you look forward to every year, going on holiday. Hatred was a big thing for me. I didn't hate people on the outside, but I hated people in my heart. What's hatred like in your life? What's fits of rage? Are you jealous? Do you sow discord amongst people? Do you score dissensions? Is there drunkenness? Is there orgies and the like? And the like could cover anything. I believe drugs. Drugs are a huge thing today in, in, in our lives. You know, what did, if you're going to church, what did your church preach about sin? Does your church preach our line about sin? The way Jesus preached about sin? The way the Bible preaches about sin? Yeah. The other, one of the main ways we show God we love him is by hating our sin. You know, it's the easiest thing in the world is to hate someone else's sin. You find that? Yeah. You hate sin in somebody else. Your co-worker yeah. or uh, maybe Donald Trump. <laughs> you see Donald Trump, you see everything that's bad about Donald Trump. <laughs> I see so many sins in him, I don't know where to start. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to see sins in someone like Donald Trump. But how is it about looking at the mirror and having a look at yourself? What are the sins in our life? What are the sins we open with? As a church, something we do is that we confess our sins to each other. That might seem completely alien to you if you're going to another church. But we confess our sins to each other. Because the Bible talks about confessing our sins to each other. It's James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other. And the Bible is very clear about... It's not about reading the Bible, it's about obeying the Bible. Yeah. We believe in the church, we have to obey the Bible. It's not enough to read the Bible. So we really, get, we really are excited to see so many people here today, but we really want to get you into the Bible. It's not about us, it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. And that is the Word of God. And yeah. We do it regularly. How do we overcome our sin? We're all sinful people. Anybody here who might put up their hand is not a sinner. No, I didn't think we'd do that. <laughs> so how can we have the how can we have the light to overcome our sin? Well, have a look at John chapter 16 for us, please. John chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verse 7. A very simple scripture, but a very powerful scripture from Jesus Christ. In John 16, the Bible simply says, verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsel will not come to you. But if I go, I will send you to him. Well, the Bible is very clear we're born of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live our lives. From the moment we're born again, we need the Holy Spirit every day for the rest of our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't have the power to live our lives and to fight sin. But something very interesting that Jesus says here, 
you know, sometimes we might like, I'd love if Jesus was around today. I'd have loads of faith, you know. I'd really be more inclined to live the Christian life or to do things that, that, that Jesus wants me to do. But he says, it is for your good I'm going away. So we're better off not to have the, not to have the, the, the physical Jesus. Right, right, right. Bit of silence there now for that one, I know. It's yeah. controversial. Yeah. This is from the Word of God. Jesus said, it is for your good that I'm going away. He gives us that, you know, without, without Jesus going away and doing what he did, we would never have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But we have the Holy Spirit now. Every, every baptized disciple has the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Yeah. We can do great things. God can do great things through us. Yeah. He wants to do great things through us. Jesus has already sent the Holy Spirit to us. He's already sent the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is all over Acts. You know, I, I love the book of Acts because it talks a lot about the first century disciples. It talks a lot about the first century disciples. And in a way, they are our heroes as disciples. You know, Jesus is our hero, but the first century cycle like shows how to go. I know we all have our football team here. I know it's two of these football teams, Liverpool. And, um, I won't make any comment there about that, but we all have our football team, Liverpool FC. But what about, what about Disciples FC? Yeah. Disciples FC meaning first century disciples. These are the type of um, football teams we need to have. These are the teams we need to have. Think about the Disciples FC. What do they do? Another area of radical in our life is a radical prayer life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, the Bible is going to preach uh, parody. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is going to preach parody today. Because um, the Holy Spirit wants his word to go out. Chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus told the parable to show that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God or cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge said. And will God, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is one of my favorite scriptures about prayer. I go to the scripture a lot to get encouraged, to get inspired, to get challenged. To. The Bible challenges us. The Bible, um, you know, it really it shows us our weaknesses. It shows us how much more we need to do for God. But it starts off to say we should always pray and not give up. You know, really, if we give up on prayer, it's like giving up on God. Prayer is so big. You give up on prayer, you're giving up on God. Right. We can never give up on prayer. Because only God can do the things in our life that we can't do. Yes. We can't do it. We can never... One of the areas we can give up on is enthusiasm for prayer. Mm. You know you're going to prayer like you're like, Oh, Lord, eh? Not a morning of prayer here. Yeah. <laughs> we can't be like that. Yeah. We've got to be enthusiastic about prayer. You know, the disciples, I believe, in the first century, we see here, they love to pray. They love to spend time with God. They're really... I think it hurts God when we don't want to pray. <laughs> Because we're saying we can do things without him. Yeah. We can't do anything without God. We can do nothing without God. Jesus, Jesus said himself, by myself I can do nothing. Now if Jesus Christ said he can do nothing without God, how can we do that without God? We need prayer so very, very much. The other thing I love here is the contrast between the widow and God. He said there's a widow in that town that kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. In the time of Jesus, widows were the lowest of the low. A bit different now living in London, in England. England is very good with people generally with disabilities and everything and stuff like that. But widows were the lowest of the low. They had no one to look after them. They had to literally fend for themselves. 
they had, they had to look for people to maybe to get handouts here, there, and everywhere. That's what happened back in Jesus' time. When we look at the difference between Jesus, between God and, and, the, and the, um, the judge, you know, she had limited access to the judge. She could only go to the judge maybe a certain time of, of the week, maybe once a week, and she presents her case for an hour. But we have unlimited access to God. Yeah. We can go to God day after day after day. We don't have to send, you know, to, to, to um, book time with God, if you like. We can go to God any time we like. You know, the judge had no interest in our call. He didn't want anything to do with the, with the widow. But God has every interest in our call. Mm. Actually, it's God's cause that we're doing. It's God's cause. It's not, it's not our cause. God has total cause, total interest in our call. The judge didn't care about people. God cares deeply about people. If you're in this room today, God cares about you. Yeah. The Bible is very clear about you. He cares about you. You know, the Bible says he was an unjust judge. God was a just judge. God, as, as unjust as a judge was, God is totally just. When he, when he judges us, it's going to be totally justice. The Bible talks about the judge has limited power. God has unlimited power. God can do anything. Yeah. The Bible talks about um, the judge was selfish. God is selfless. He wants to help us. He wants to do things for us. You know, Jesus told us this story so we, we might get encouraged. None of us is where the, the widow is. Right. None of us is as badly off as the widow. Man. None of us is weaker than the widow. None of us is face up larger odds than she. She has huge odds. But because of her persistence and faith, yeah. even the unjust judge gave in to what was hers by right. Yeah. How much more can you expect God to interfere in our behalf? So it's our lack of faith that's, 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 that's the issue. It's not God's willingness. It's our lack of faith is the issue. I believe Jesus really talks about that. He talks about being chosen by God. It's so important as disciples that we're, we know we're chosen by God. Yeah. God has chosen us. Yeah. Crying out to God day and night is the biblical standard. That's the biblical standard for faith. Wow. How biblical is our faith? Wow. You know, how is our prayer life? Visitors, what are your prayers like? I know for me, I used to say a little prayer maybe at night. A little prayer to God. It was kind of a prayer I, I learned as, as a child. That, that rhymed. You know when those prayers are rhymed? I kind of forget it now. But there's about six verses in it and they all rhyme to each other. That was really my prayer. Yeah, something like that. But apart from that, the only time I prayed was really, you know, urgent times, like an exam. The morning of an exam. And maybe the minute before the paper come up to you or something like that. That's the only times I prayed. But that's not biblical prayer. Does your church, if you're busy, does your church preach this about prayer? This is the biblical side of prayer. This is one of the roots of Christianity. They have this kind of biblical prayer. What are our prayers like today? You know, for me, I mean, I, when I was a young disciple, I really found it hard to pray. I was brought up in a, in a religion where it was a, praying was like a mantra. You said it over and over again. There's no power in that type of prayer. If you're saying the same thing to God over and over again, there's no power. I mean, I know how many people are married here, but if I say the same thing to my wife over and over again, she's going to get fed up. <laughs> same thing. There has to be variety. There has to be a heart there. There has to be a spark there. That's the way it has to be with God. There has to be a spark in your relationship with God. You can't be going with the same thing. Be creative. Be innovative. Try new things with God. God loves us when we try new things with Him. Yeah. This is, I believe, one of the, the roots of Christianity, this biblical prayer. And again, I really want to you know, talk about the, the early disciples, how, how good they were in this area. Go to me with Acts chapter 12. Go on, Martin. Acts chapter 12, and then in verse 5, I'm going to read it for you. Peter was in prison for this time. This is one of the first major waves of persecution against the church. One of the leaders was beheaded. That's quite challenging. One of your leaders of the church gets beheaded. Man. Then one of the other main leaders gets put in prison. Now prison back then wasn't like prison now, getting rehabilitated. It was not like that. Prison back then was as miserable as can be. In a dungeon. 
And usually prison, well, when you got to prison, you got tried and you got executed. That's in most cases what happened to prison back then. You've got to keep that in mind when you see prisoners nowadays with mobile phones, with pool tables and all this. Prison was not like that back, back in Jesus' time, back in Peter's time. Bible says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnestly. Day and night, I believe, they were praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. You know, God sometimes comes through at the very last time. The night before, the day before. Will God ever come through? He will come through, but we have to wait. We have to be persistent. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound by two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So basically, with the two soldiers, he had one... He had one chain in one of them, and one chain in his left hand, so he couldn't get away. That's the way he had it. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Now, Peter must have been on a deep sleep if the angel had to hit him and wake him up, you know? I think some of them might be in a deep sleep, spiritually. Maybe God needs to come to wake us up. Maybe this is your wake-up call today from the Word of God. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the second and, and first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by, by, for, for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. You know, that's very true of God. When he comes out, God will only do so much, then you have to do the rest. Wow. God, God brought him out and said, Peter, you're big enough now. You know what to do. The angel wasn't going to be hanging around. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. I thought everything the Jewish people were anticipating. They were anticipating that Peter was going to be killed. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Now Peter was sleeping, so this was probably early in the morning. This wouldn't be at night. If you're going to be asleep, if everyone's asleep, it's going to be two or three o'clock in the morning. But what were the early disciples doing? They were praying. They were praying the hour of the morning. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant door called Rhoda uh, came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of my mind, they said. When they kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But this encourages me that the first century church, they struggled with doubt as well. Yeah. They were, the very thing they were praying about happened. And he said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> out of your mind. I mean, they, they, they lacked faith too. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Like this. And described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Come on, come on, no, this is how the early church were. Yeah. Even Peter, he wasn't hanging around and saying, Listen, let's have a cup of tea. He had other things to do. There's so much to do. Peter was just wanted to do things when he was free from prison. Yes, come on. So we see the first century Christians, how much they are our example today. I believe they lived out Luke 18 with their life. They lived it out with their life. You know, um, we, we all know Blaise football. Blaise is a weak prayer warrior. You know? yes. He prays all the time. He just never gives up on God. Yeah. And God continues to bless him. Yeah. That's the reason. It's because of your prayer life and your, your persistence with God. That God is going to bless us today. A place is just a man like us. He's just a human being like us. If we are as persistent as Blaze, he's going to, we're going to get the same results that Blaze has. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you a little challenge today uh, for the disciples is to pray for some issues in our region. And we know that Sean and Samuel are looking for jobs in, in Birmingham. Oh, yeah. Please pray for that every day. We know Sarah is looking for a football job with, with big money because there's a lot of money in football. 
We know Mama Sue is not here today. Please be still praying for Sue every day, or we, we need to be praying for these things. Yes. Dear just then, mm. it's obviously going to be go back up to Coventry. Please pray for that situation, very challenging situation. Do you know what our goals were for the year for the North Region? Mm. We double the number from 30 to 60 disciples, just for the North Region. Start yeah. 60 Bible talks, all meant to increase their earnings and giving. You know, we need to know the goals. Yeah. If we don't know the goals, we're not going to be praying for the goals. Yeah. So these are the goals, these are the goals today. A challenge for visitors, start a prayer life. Start a wholehearted, meaningful prayer life. If you're not sure what to do, how to do that, we'll help you. You know, I can help you. Any, any disciple here can help you, because we've been helped ourselves. We didn't have this kind of a prayer life always. Amen? Yeah. That's our first point. The second point is radical love for fellow disciples. Radical love for fellow disciples <laughs> is another sign of radical, um, radicalness in God's eyes. The first characteristic is um, radical commitment to each other. Please go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the disciples, FC disciples again here today. Come on. And in verse 42, the Bible says, They devoted themselves. Now we talked about they, it's talking about 3,120 people. That's the number of people that devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling the possession of the goods to give to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, they had a radical commitment to each other. True Christianity, you're going to have a radical commitment to each other. Again, if, if you're, if you're visiting, no, if you go to church, how, how, how much devoted are you to other people in the church? Do you only see them once a week? Because in, in our church, I can probably say, there's people I talk to every day, in some way, shape, or form. There's people I communicate with every day. This is the biblical standard. The biblical standard is daily, daily contact. This is what the Bible says. And because not many people are doing it, doesn't stop it from being the biblical standard. We still have to, we still have to go after the biblical standard in our lives. So such an important thing here is they devoted themselves. No one had to tell them. They did it themselves. You shouldn't have to be told to devote yourself. There's something wrong if you say this. I know I'm concerned you're not getting with other, other disciples. You're, you're living out on your own. You have to devote yourself because that's how the early Christians did it. They devoted themselves. Another root of Christianity is total commitment to other Christians. That's a root of Christianity. Total commitment to other Christians. To God and other Christians. Look what it says here. They sold their possessions and goods. When was the last time you sold something for somebody else? <laughs> You actually sold something and gave it to somebody. This is as much for the disciples as, as yours were visiting. Have we ever sold something and given it to somebody? There's, some, there's such a joy in doing that. Early Christians had such a high standard. But this is the biblical standard. This is what we aim to imitate, isn't it? We're aiming to imitate the biblical standard. Today, we want to do it. So I think about our church I love. Years ago, we had what we call a one suitcase challenge. But missionaries, when we say missionaries, they weren't trained in a seminary. They're just everyday disciples. They went to India. They put all their possessions in one suitcase. India is a challenging place to live. And they stayed there for years and built a church. Yeah. But that's an incredible. That's something to be proud of in our church. Yeah. Yeah. I think too in our benevolence, every week we take up money and we give it to poor people in the church. We look after our own, you know. Mm. It's often said charity begins right. at home. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very true. So we, we do look after our own. Right. We have disciples in poorer nations. Mm. We live in a first world country. You know, that, as Michael's saying, the reason we live in the Commonwealth is because wealth is common. Wealth is very, very common. 
in the third world countries, they have nothing. Mm. They don't have anything like the stuff we have. They barely have, they don't have running water. We're, we're rich in God's eyes. Yeah. We should be giving to others instead of waiting for other people to give to us. Yeah. That's the first one. The second correct characteristic, I believe, is radical encouragement. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, we're going to be looking at 12 and 13. Come on, man. You know, I never met someone who didn't want to be, who didn't like encouragement. <laughs> we all want to be encouraged, don't we? Oh, yeah. You know, when you talk to your kids and you encourage them, you see their eyes, you know, lighting up. People love encouragement. I believe God has made us this way, to encourage each other. Yeah. Bible says in Hebrews 3, verse 12, See to it, brothers and sisters, just because the sisters are not there, doesn't mean that the sisters can't do it. See to it, brothers and sisters, none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This scripture talks about the, you know, the enormous benefit of encouragement, daily encouragement. None of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We can stop each other from falling away <coughs> from God through encouragement. That's how big encouragement is. That's how huge it is. But the Bible talks about building each other up as well. Yes. Building each other up. Same thing. What kind of things stop us from encouraging each other? Different things. I think uh, self-focus stops us. Mm -hmm. We're only thinking about ourselves. We don't think about others. Yeah. That's a huge one that stops us from encouraging each other. And if we're not encouraging, if we're not encouraging each other, we're not obeying the Bible. Yeah. We're not obeying the Scriptures. Um, the other one I think is pride stops us. Yeah. It's like, well, let them encourage me first. You know? oh. <laughs> Why should I encourage them the last time they encouraged me? Oh, when was the last message I got from them? When was the last time I was mentioned in the sermon? <laughs> Pride can really stop us from encouraging people. The one thing about Satan, he doesn't want us to encourage each other. He does not want us to encourage each other. Actually, Satan doesn't want us to do anything good. You know, if you're, if you're tempted to do good, it's definitely not Satan that's tempting you. <laughs> it's not Satan that's tempting you. It's the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Satan only does evil. He hates good. The, the Holy Spirit prompts us to do good every day. But are we following this good? He's prompting us. Are we following the Holy Spirit? Are we denying the Spirit? As actually the Apostle Paul. But now it be seen as an encourager. Have a look at Acts chapter 20 there, please. Acts 20. A great scripture about Paul as an encouragement man. Acts chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He travelled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he spent three months. You know, Paul was really an encouragement machine, wasn't he? Mm. Encouragement machine. You know, when the, when the uproar has ended, sometimes it might be an uproar in your life and you need some encouragement. Yes. <laughs> often, quite often at the moment we go through financial challenges and we really have to trust God, you know. Yeah. But it's God will encourage us. I know God is the, God is the king of encouragement. And one of, one of his, one of his uh, best-known disciples, Paul, was the king of encouragement here. Now, the one thing you uttered about encouragement, if you're not encouraging others, that means you don't have courage. Because <laughs> you cannot give what you don't have. <laughs> so if you're saying, I'm a courageous person, I'm super courageous, yet you're not, you're not imparting that courage onto others, you're not courageous in God's life. It's time to get courage and start encouraging our brothers and sisters. Amen? And we all, love, we all love to be encouraged. It's a deep need for us. So I, I see this in children. Children are the way where Jesus says to imitate children. Kids love being encouraged. My kids love being encouraged. You know, they don't like the correction as much, but they, they love the encouragement. Amen? Absolutely, their hearts come alive with encouragement. It's a deep need for all of us, I believe. But I believe in men in particular, we can be proud in this area. 
We can take, I don't need encouragement. I'm a man. I'm a man, I can do it myself. I don't need another man telling me how great I am. You know, but it's really a pride thing. As if the Bible says it, we need it. Yeah. Irrespective of what we think. Right. You know, the young disciple, I really was bad at encouragement. I was very, very, very self-focused. But it was a, a man in our foreign fellowship called Peter, and he was great at encouragement. So, it's, it, you know, you always have someone there that you can imitate. Peter was great at encouragement. So this year I set a daily goal. I said, try to encourage two disciples a day. I, doesn't, I don't always do it. That's my wife is included. Uh, but I don't always do it. But you have to set, you have to set a goal. If you don't have a goal to do something, you're gonna, if you're going to aim at nothing, you're going to get nothing every time. It's, so, it's never been as easy to encourage. In Paul, he had to see people face to face. He had to write letters. We have everything at our disposal to encourage people. We have Facebook Messenger, we have WhatsApp, we have messages, we have voicemail, we have everything. Every disciple didn't have these things. You know, we have a much better chance to encourage each other than the early disciples. Right? So it's, there's no excuses not to be encouraged. So, you know, the ex-London disciples have gone, Jack and Jeanette, when was the last time you sent them a text message? Or any type of message? When was that? All the other people that have, that have gone on. Even Alex, our brother, is in Brazil. He's on his own a lot. Um, we have uh, Micah over there in, in Sydney. They need encouragement. You know, if we're not encouragement, are we really following the Bible? Especially people we don't see in the flesh. We need to encourage people to see in the flesh, but people that we don't see, they need encouragement. We have to keep reaching out to remnant disciples. Remember their, remember their birthdays, people that were once in our fellowship. I believe one of the roots of, the, uh, roots of Christianity is encouraging each other. You know, and uh, it's great to be up here as a preacher because you can share about your wife. <laughs> and you go, you know, it, that's, that's a great thing. But I mean, when I was growing up in Ireland <clears throat> many years ago, I, I wanted to marry. Most of us do, I believe. But you know, Teresa really has all the characteristics I wanted in my life. <laughs> she has that heart of, of caring, considerate, a big heart for people. But she's a woman with a lot of conviction as well. She has a lot of courage, a lot of boldness. She has a lot of faith. Um, you know, she's um, she couldn't be a better wife or mother. Come on. Incredible wife, incredible mother, and the way she looks after the kids. Yeah. If it was me, I just forget to bring the kids to church. <laughs> you know, probably, I'd probably leave them at home. And I'd come here and say, where are the kids? <laughs> but Teresa, um, Teresa is brilliant. Brilliant mother, she really is. She loves God and she loves people very much. Oh, Personally, to see our new disciple Maria in the fountain. She's completely changed Maria. Yeah. She's really like the first century disciples, the way she goes about encouraging people and being hugging. You know, someone too is very encouraging. I sometimes call her Cassandra, but it's Sandra there. Yeah. You know, Sandra is really focused on the mission of God. Even though they're really trying to go after Birmingham, she's always talking about the people she's studying with. Always talk about you know what she can do to, to make some of the disciples. I really encourage you, my dear, what she's done with her with her mother yeah, and father. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge thing what she's done there, taking her father um, and really arranging all the childcare, along, all the childcare, adult care. <laughs> but along with James, Deirdre has shown a lot of love there. She's shown a lot of love. Yeah. You know, if you're visiting today, are you encouraged in your walk with God? Do you get encouraged? If you're a parent, do your kids ever encourage you? Or are your, your kids like a drain on your emotional resources? You know, God wants you to be encouraged. Do things God's way. 
God will be encouraged um, if you do things his way. I'm going to give you a challenge about encouragement. Encourage one disciples every day this week. Encourage a disciple every day this week. And the other one, it's not like an encouragement, but I'd encourage you to read the Bible in a year. How's that going? Because we started it off. Remember that challenge we got yeah. from leadership? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Amen. Yeah. Yeah. How is that going? You know, I have to kind of catch up myself there recently. Sure. We want to be known as a Bible church. Yes. We want to know the Bible work better than any other churches here in London or beyond. Yeah. We need to read the Bible every day. We need to say that we've, studied, we've read the Bible at least a few times. The Bible is the best book in the world. We need to read it. Amen. The third area is radical love for the lost. Radical love for the lost. Let's go to Acts 5. Again, the first characteristic is radical preaching. And we're going to be looking at the early disciples again. Please go to Acts 5. Now, I'm reading the book of Acts at the moment, and it's just such a fantastic book. Yeah. It's a great book to read if you're not sure what to read, even if, uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible. Read the book of Acts. It's just the history of the first century Christians. Mm. One, of the, one of the characteristics is radical preaching. Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the parties of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now, Sadducees were old religious people, and the joke is, they were Sadducees. <laughs> they were Sadducees, because they were quite religious. So, anyway, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. This is actually the time Peter got, uh, got rescued by an angel was the second time. This is the first time he got rescued by an angel. So Jesus had kind of previous, or Peter had previous in that area. Didn't he? Yes. Um, At daybreak they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would become of this. Then someone come and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God, one of the men. God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that might he, give, he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who God has chosen to those who give him. Obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. You know, religious people can get like this sometimes, right? yeah, yeah. when they hear the truth. Mm -hmm. Go down to, mm -hmm. uh, to uh, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, depressed because they had been flogged. No! no. no. So. Quite! <laughs> Timid into themselves. No. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. You know something about the early disciples, the disciples in the first century? They got, they got uh, persecution just like Jesus got persecuted. Yeah. They really followed Jesus. Think about it, the twelve apostles were flogged together. It just must be a very intense scene of the twelve apostles being flogged. 
usually they got at least 39 lashings of a whip. And it was very bloody, see? There would have been a lot of blood involved on this bare black. And, and the apostles, they were the leaders. The, the, the Sanhedrin went after the leaders. They said, if we stop these guys doing it, we can stop it going on at all. These are, the, these are our, <coughs> our role models today, yes. As Christians, these are our role models. And a lot of these Christians that would see this happening were young Christians. But they, they were used to seeing persecution. You know, another, uh, we'll talk about it in a minute, but another sign of, of biblical Christianity is persecution. If you're in a church, does it get persecuted? Does it ever, did your church ever get persecuted? I mean, our church has started to get persecuted, but we had a church like that. We got a lot of persecution in the media. A lot of persecution. Because when you're doing something bad against Satan, he's going to rise up against you. He's going to use whatever it takes. So it's, it's going to happen. You know, we, we've had disciples that were killed in the old moon. We've had a guy in Iraq that was killed because of his faith. This is the biblical standard. Another one of the roots of Christianity is bold preaching, leading to persecution, and then leading to more bold preaching. That's a very challenging thing, but that's one of the roots of Christianity. It says here, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. How is our evangelism going? Are we doing it day after day? Are we doing it in, in, in the courts around our houses at work? Are we going from house to house? Like some other religious groups go. We used to do this more in the, in the Bible. They went from house to house. Try something new. Do your evangelism house to house. Reach out to people. It's in the Bible. Why not do it? You know? Why not do it? Um, keep going down, please, to Acts chapter 14. And let's have a look at a few more heroes in the Bible. Come on. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Bible says, In Lystra, there sat a man crippled at his feet, who was lame from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. But that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and rats to the city gate, reached the city gate, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to him. We go down to verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the, the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra again. Iconium and Antioch strengthened disciples and encouraged them to remain true to their faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes my, people might say, what's biblical Christianity? This is biblical Christianity. This is what happens when you behave like a biblical Christian. The persecution that's going to come. This is what it is. Now, interesting when it says here, the disciples gathered around him. Who were these disciples? They were probably disciples at Lystra that have just been baptized. Because early on he said he preached the word to them. So these are very young disciples. And yet they saw the guy who, who, who converted them being stoned. And they thought he was dead. They thought he was dead. How is persecution going in our lives? You know, when was the last time we got persecuted for doing right? For doing something good? This is, this is the, the standard of Christianity. I mean... During the week, I work in like specialized recruitment. We had someone during the week. We were trying to help the work, but she has a medical condition. But she came in anyway. She was waiting for a while because she, she actually hired an interpreter, Turkish-English interpreter. So she came down. We had a chat with her. But it was very, very apparent that she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to have anything to do with work. So after about 30 minutes, I could see her kind of getting... It looked like she was getting dizzy. 
Anyway, she started to fall and she fell out of the chair in a heap on the ground. So we had a look at her. I mean, what do you do in those situations? You're not trained to do it. Obviously, some, um, as, as, as God would have it, there's someone with a nurse, and one of the other uh, members, their nurse, uh, their mother was a nurse, and she came and helped him out. I had to get on to the ambulance, because she didn't look conscious at the time, and speak, speak to um, what was happening to the lady. You know? And after, whatever, 20 minutes, the ambulance came out, three guys came out, looked after her, took, away, took her away in the chair. And what's the point, I believe? This is what happens nowadays, even if you get something minor to happen to you. Think about what happened to Paul. If he was nearly dead, what medical treatment would he have received? Mm. Doubtfully, he would have got any medical treatment. Mm. Yeah. He couldn't ring 999 and say, Listen to the man here, he's been persecuted because of preaching the gospel. We need an ambulance. <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul had severe medical injuries here. Severe medical injuries. Literally, what's the worst that can happen to us on the streets of London? <laughs> we get sworn at something like that. People don't like to hear what we say. That's literally the worst, at the moment anyway, that can happen to us. Um, you know, visitors talk again that your church doesn't get persecuted. Persecution is one of the roots of Christianity. It's one of the roots of Christianity. When I say you get persecuted for the sake of persecution, yeah. some people get persecuted for the wrong reasons. Yeah. But a lack of persecution shows a lack of outspoken God. <laughs> shows a lack of God. If your Bible says anyone who wants to live, there it is again, if you want to do it, you will get persecuted. If you, really, if, you, if you really want to do it, you will get persecuted. It's a, it's a promise of Jesus Christ himself. Amen. The so persecution is one of the roots. The other root is a radical joy. Come on. And I will ask you this morning, how joyful are you? Mm-hmm. Looking on, around, I'm not so sure. Well, I, I am not so sure. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Acts chapter eight. Bible in verse eight, the Bible says, "There was great joy in that city. Yeah. Not just a small joy, but great joy. Yeah. We all want to have great joy in our lives, amen. Yeah. We all want to be fired up in our lives. We all we want to live life to the fullest." Jesus talks about. In Acts 13, 52, the Bible says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How joyful are we today? How joyful were you when you woke up this morning? Did you have genuine joy in your heart? Or did you have worries, concerns, everything that life has to offer you? How joyful are you? Visitors, is your walk with God a joy or a burden? Are you, really, are you enjoying your walk with God? If you're praying, reading your Bible, do you enjoy it? The Bible talks about being joyful. You know what brings joy? The Holy Spirit brings joy. Yes. The Bible says they're filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Nice. The Holy Spirit brings joy. The other thing that brings joy is persecution. Persecution actually brings joy because these two scriptures talk about as a direct result of persecution what happened. They were filled with joy. The persecution is not to be afraid of as Christians. Right. Saving souls brings joy. Yeah. It's great to see Calvin coming today. Come to on, Calvin. Joy. You know, we have the wrong idea about Jesus in this country, I think. Yeah. We think Jesus was a killjoy. Yeah. Yeah. We think Jesus wants us to do the things that we want to do that are good for us. No, he wants us to not do the things that are bad for us. Yeah. The Bible says, you can write it down, uh, John 17, 13, he wants the full measure of his joy within us. Right. I believe Jesus was the most joyful man who ever lived. Yeah. That's because you don't see it represented in religious circles. doesn't make that not true. Yeah. Jesus was an incredibly joyful man. If you want to live a wholehearted Christian life, you will be the most joyful person. Nothing will bring you joy like, like Christianity. No matter the money or relationships or achievements in your life, nothing comes close to bringing you the joy that true biblical Christianity brings you. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going for the third characteristic. The third characteristic of a biblical church is radical growth. 
Come on. Acts 2, verse 47. We were there already. Verse 47, the Bible says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. Let's go to Acts 16, chapter 5. Verse 5, brother. The Bible says again, um, So the churches, all the churches, around at that time, probably a lot of churches by Acts 16, were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in number. See, our, our, our faith really is what we need to grow daily in number. The more faith we have, the more likely we're going to grow daily in numbers. Amen? You know, that's what I really love about our church. We're, we're moving. We're moving to God. So last night we have, a, we have a, a conference over on the other side of the world in Manila. But great things are happening over in Manila. Man, we even have a, a remnant group now in Cambodia. That's rose up. They want to hear the word of God in Cambodia. And in our old movement, we did incredible things for God. In L.A., L.A. Church in 2001. 2,500 people were baptized that year. That's seven people per day. Seven per day in the old movement. In, in, in Moscow, 1991, 850 people were baptized at one year. That's over two a day. In London, from around 94 to 96, it went from 500 to 2,000. So more than one a day. We've done it already. We can do it again. We just need to have more faith. No, in our old movement, I'm really proud of it, but I wouldn't be the disciple apart from the old movement. I would not be disciples apart from the ICOC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God moved powerfully through the ICOC. Yeah, yeah. In just 21 years of the old movement, God multiplied 30 disciples to 400 churches, 135,000 disciples, with 171 nations, with a combined attendance of 200,000. That wasn't a movement of men. That was a movement of God. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're doing it all over again, but in a bigger way. In May 2007, you know, Kip and Elena, alongside 40 other disciples in Portland, they planted what we call the City of Angels. It's in LA. LA is known as the City of Angels. International Christian Church, which now has 1,300 at their Sunday service from 42. In just 10 years, God has multiplied it to 5,000 disciples around the world. We're now at present in all six populated countries, counting churches, church plants, and remnant groups. God's new movement, because we are God's new movement. We believe that, yes? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Collectively, numbers are almost 30, 80 congregations in 33 countries. That's what's happening today. That's what God is doing. Our major rule of Christianity is radical growth. It's consistent growth. For me, I have set a goal there on Wednesday that I'm going to reach out to five people per day. Because you know what's, what's, what's radical? Um, consistency is radical. Consistency is radical. Instead of reaching out to 20 people one day, no people the next two days, do five every day. Set us a number and do it. And God has got to use us. Someone who's been very radical is Calvin. Calvin has come here today to be baptized. Yes. Yes. Let's have a round of applause, guys. Calvin yes. has a heart for God. He really has a heart for God. He wants to please God. He wants to do whatever the Bible says. I know, and um, Bob, you've done a great job, Calvin. You've taught him to love him. The final scripture is Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. Bible says, when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and the Holy Spirit can talk, man. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I called them. You know, the Holy Spirit has worked for all of us. It has a lot of work for all of us. The song we sang before that there is much to do. And there is a huge amount to do, man. There's a huge amount to do. Time passes quickly. It was August already, 2017. 
someday, you know, Deji, you're going to reach 50 like me someday. You want to have a really, um, well, you want to think now, but you're going to hit the big 5 also. Wow, okay. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a company in America called Stripe, and actually founded by two Irish guys from, from a place called Limerick. But they're, they're billionaires, dollar, they're dollar billionaires, printer billionaires. It's to do with design online security software. So interestingly, one of the guys, only 28, what he's done, is, I've never heard of this before, he keeps a clock in his uh, workplace. But the clock doesn't, doesn't just um, tick down the days, it ticks down the rest of his life. Oh, wow. The rest of his life. So he's 28 now, he's kind of set the clock for about 52 years. So he can see every day how much left in his years. Now, that's a radical thing wow. to do. Now he's a billionaire, he can probably afford these kind of expensive items and that. Yeah. But you know, what if you knew how long you had to live? What if your clock said two years? <laughs> if God revealed your clock to be two years, how differently would you live your life? <laughs> what if it said a year? What if it said six months? Your clock reads six months, and that's it. What are you going to do to change your life? Life is very, very short. <laughs> Even if you're young, life is short. I was young. <laughs> I was 15 months. <laughs> life is very short. We've got to be urgent. We've got to be urgent to get right with God. We've got to be urgent to do better things for God. We've got to be urgent to have better prayer life, better uh, evangelism. We've got to be urgent to have better Bible study. We've got to be urgent to grow and grow and have better relationships. The word of the hour is urgent. Mm -hmm. Radicalness is urgency. Mm -hmm. It's urgency. Becoming a disciple like the first century is a radical change. You know, if you're coming here today, we really encourage you to look into the Bible more. Yeah. It's, a, it's a radical change. You're coming from darkness into light. You know, it's a, it's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. But you know what? We have the chance to rewrite history. Yes. Every person in this room today has a chance to rewrite history. Mm -hmm. If you're visiting, we'd love you to join us. Yes. Just like Kelvin is doing today. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to do. We want you to join us. Mm -hmm. So the challenge is, guys, today is to grow radically. Change radically. Our love for God. Yeah. Change radically. Our love for disciples. Change radically. Our love for the lost. So we'll all bear fruit for God's glory this year. Amen. Amen. <laughs>